Thank you. I appreciate that. That song has in it a line with these words. For once you have spoken on nature and science, follow the sound of your voice. For once you have spoken all nature and science, follow the sound of your voice. How do we follow that voice? It's when we love the Lord with our mind. In our culture, we tend to put a lot of emphasis on emotion. And that's a part of who we are. But Jesus also teaches us to love Him with our minds. And how do we get at that? If you'll turn with me this morning to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 22. Where we're going to look at Jesus' command and specifically look at His command to love Him with our minds. As you turn there, I want to challenge you and share with you the words of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who at the age of 20, as the pastor of a church in England in 1855, spoke these words to his congregation on a Sunday morning, no subject of contemplation will tend more to humble the mind than thoughts of God. But while the subject humbles the mind, it also expands it. He who often thinks of God will have a larger mind than the man who simply plods around this narrow globe. The most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and Him crucified, and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in His immensity, and you shall come forth as from a couch of rest, refreshed, invigorated. I know of nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial, as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. It is to that subject that I invite you this morning. Jesus calls us to love Him with our minds. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus is in the last week of His life. This is Tuesday of the final week before He is to be crucified. He is gathered in the temple courts in what is called the courtyard of the temple or the courtyard of the Gentiles. It was the place where the Gentiles and the Jews could gather in front of the great temple. And Jesus gathers there, and the various leaders of Israel are trying to entrap him in a question to get him in trouble, not just with the religious authorities, but also with the Roman authorities. And in this environment, they pose a question to him. It is the question that is the leading question of the rabbis. And that is, what is the most important command? Now, the reason that was such a debated question 
is that the Pharisees, who were the sort of legalistic rule keepers of Israel, had 613 commands that you were supposed to follow. If you can imagine trying to live every day following 613 different commands... It'd be like someone telling you you've got to get up and follow the Code of Virginia law every day. You'd have to have a degree in law and still you couldn't do that. And so they were always debating what is the most important command. And that's the question they throw at Jesus here. And Jesus responds in verse 37 to this question. And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind. Now what Jesus does in responding to this question is he quotes from what's called the Shema, which was sort of the encapsulation of everything that Judaism was about from the Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you took the Jewish faith and just encapsulated it into the very essence of what it was, Jesus quotes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now let's break that down and see exactly what he's driving at here. First of all, he says we are to love the Lord our God. The word love there is a love that the Holy Spirit of God produces within us. We saw in a series of messages I brought from earlier in the year from the fruits of the Spirit that one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Jesus produces in us a love for Him. This is not a love that you and I try to work up and come up with ourselves. Rather, as we live in the work and fullness of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God produces a love in us, and it is with that love that we're able to love Him back. He, in other words, empowers us to love Him. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because He first loved us. Now, this love is a love of commitment. It is not primarily emotional. In other words, I'm not waiting till I feel something about Jesus or feel something for Jesus. I am choosing, I am exercising my will to love Him. Often we understand love for Jesus exclusively in emotional terms. So I want to feel like I love Him. And so what we do is we wait on our feelings, our emotion to begin to love Him, or we try to wait for our emotions to be stirred up so we can love Him. But that's not the idea here. I'm not waiting to get my feelings stirred up in order to love Jesus. I am choosing to love Jesus. I'm making a decision to love Jesus. I am willing to love Jesus. And I just let the emotions catch up when they're going to catch up. But I'm making that decision. I'm going to love Jesus. I'm going to be committed to Jesus. I'm going to explore Jesus. I'm going to experience Jesus. Now, folks, the more you and I explore Jesus and the more we experience Jesus, the more our love for Him is going to grow and going to deepen. So instead of me waiting for my emotions to be stirred to love Him, instead of me waiting for the circumstances and situations of my life to be of such a nature that I love Him, I rather say to Him, Lord, I want to explore deeper who You are. I want to experience more, Lord Jesus, of who You are. And as I experience more of Him, as I explore and plunge into more of who Jesus is, then my love for Jesus is naturally going to grow and deepen. 
That's the call that he's giving us here when he says we're to love the Lord our God. Now, we're to love the Lord our God. Let's look at those two terms there. First of all, he says we're to love God. Who is God? The creator of the heavens and the earth. Our thoughts of God are often way too small. And our thoughts about ourselves are often way too big. J.B. Phillips wrote a book years ago called Your God is Too Small. And he talked about all the ways that we try to make God small. <clears throat> Who is God? Is the song that was sung a few moments ago. He is the creator of billions and billions of stars. He is the creator of the galaxies. Scientists tell us that when you study the universe, it is constantly expanding. Well, why is that? Because God cannot hold and keep His creativity to Himself. He is compelled to create. As Dr. Falwell used to tell us years ago at Liberty, God got up one morning before breakfast and spoke the world into existence. He has this tremendous creativity and power to create. I want us for a few moments this morning to use our minds to think about Him as the majestic Creator. First of all, when you go back to the book of Genesis and look at God when He creates, He begins to create, but He creates out of nothing. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 that the world was without form. In other words, it was nothing but chaos. It says the Spirit of God, and you have all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, but it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. In other words, when the dawn of creation opens, what you've got is total darkness, you have total chaos, and you've got the Spirit of God hovering over it. And then God reaches into the chaos and into the absolute nothingness that's there. And God, with His powerful hand, reaches into that and He begins to mold and shape and create. He begins to speak and in the power of His voice, He begins to bring it all together and He begins to bring order out of the chaos. Folks, let me say, depart from Genesis for just a moment and say this into your life this morning. God delights in showing up in the middle of darkness and chaos and bringing His light and bringing His order in the middle of the chaos. So many times in life we step back and say, God, my life is an absolute mess. It feels like everything is out of control. I feel like I'm in the middle of chaos. And God says, well, if you go back to Genesis 1, look what I made out of chaos. Look what I can do out of chaos. And your chaos is nothing compared to what I had to start with back in Genesis chapter 1. It may seem huge, but you're not dealing with a universal chaos here like I was. And I delight in bringing order out of the mess. That is the kind of power that God has. He brings that order out of it. He creates out of nothing. And then he goes to create man. What does he do when he creates man? He says, let us create, speaking as the Trinity. Let us create man. He reaches down into the dust of the earth. Oh, I would love to have been there and watched it. Because what I can imagine is God is down on His knees in the dust of the earth 
with dirt flying all around, etc. And he started talking to himself and he begins to shape and he begins to mold this figure. His intelligence, his power, his love transferred into this figure that he is molding and shaping and creating. And then he picks that figure up and he breathes into that figure the breath of life and that lifeless figure begins to breathe and blood begins to circulate and a heart begins to pound and that figure is man. The power and the work of God to do that. He creates woman out of a rib from Adam. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 12, speaks of what God can do, reflecting on the creative work of God, who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. And then in verse 28 of that same chapter, Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And His greatness compels us to worship Him. Love God. Love the Lord your God. Love Him, but love Him as Lord. You see, loving Him is about recognizing His authority and adoring Him in His authority. I have to choose to love Him with my obedience. Obedience is an act of love. In fact, I think obedience is perhaps the greatest act of love that we demonstrate towards Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. Now one of the commands that Jesus gave us is to take up the cross and follow Him. And His disciples would have understood that the cross was the most rugged form of crucifixion available. When the Romans went to torture somebody and kill somebody, if they really wanted to make a point, so to speak, and have you die an elongated, agonizing death, they pulled the cross out. So when Jesus says, pick up your cross, He's saying, you got to pick something up that I'm going to give you. We don't choose our crosses. He chooses a cross. But you got to pick that cross up and you got to carry it. And it's going to be agonizing, and it's going to be excruciating, and it's going to be tough, and it's going to involve some form of death. Pick up the cross, Jesus said, and follow me. Now, if I wait on my emotions to pick up a cross, I am never going to pick up a cross. If I look at what Jesus says i got to pick up to follow Him, and I wait to feel good about it or have warm feelings about it, that day is never going to happen. Rather, when Jesus says, pick up the cross, He is saying, I've got to choose in love to love Him with my obedience and pick up that cross. 
And when I do so, then I am choosing to love Him. So this is how my mind engages. The first thing I do is I say, Lord, I need Your power, I need Your wisdom, I need Your discernment to discover, to realize, to explore the cross that You have for me to pick up. See, we love to discover the promises of God, but we're not too interested a lot of times in discovering the cross that He has for us to pick up. He says, I want you to use your mind to love me, and the first step of loving me is discerning the cross that I've got for you, picking that cross up. And then I want you to discern how you're supposed to pick the cross up, how you're supposed to carry it, how you're supposed to go through a a crucifixion. What is it that he is crucifying in us? My pride, my ego, my desire for prominence, for control, whatever it is, God, crucify that within me so that Jesus and Jesus only is being exalted. Pick up the cross, Jesus says, discern that, and follow me. And notice what he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all, whole, completeness. Why does he say all of your heart and your soul and your mind? Because he is worthy of all. Because he's already given all. And follow me on this, when I love him with all that I am, then I open up all that I am so that he can heal all of me. Let me say that again. When I open up all that I am to love Him with all that I am, then He can begin to heal all of me. Jesus wants to reach into your life and He wants to heal every aspect of who you and I are, but He cannot heal any more of us than we will allow Him to heal. And so every part of my life that I hold back from Him stays in a state of illness. But when I open those places up in my life that He is prodding me to open up, when I am loving Him with all that I am, when I'm opening up my heart, my soul, my mind to Him, then I am opening myself up to be totally touched and healed by Him in every part of who I am. Love the Lord your God with what? Love Him with your heart. That is the entire mental and emotional activity of who we are. It's basically a conglomerate word there. It means loving with everything you got. You know, I love to tell you all stories about that farm in Gretna where I spent all this time growing up. I've got a creek at the back of that farm, and that creek is fed by a spring. The condition of the spring determines the condition of the creek. If the creek is clean, excuse me, if the spring is clean, then the creek's clean. If the water in the spring is cold, then the water in the creek is cold. You get the idea. What Jesus is saying here is, love me with your emotional capacity. Love me with your mental capacity. Love me with who you are. And when you do that, the condition of your heart will then be the condition of the rest of your life. So love me with your heart. Then he says, love me with your soul. The word soul there was a Greek word that spoke of the vital desires and drives of a human being. In other words, it's what we yearn for, what we want. Jesus is saying, I want you to love me with your desires. I want you to yearn after me. I want the yearning of your heart, the desire of your heart to be me. 
It's not that we don't yearn and desire other things in life, but Jesus is saying, I want and I am asking you to make me the preeminent desire and the preeminent love of your life. And if I am the preeminent desire and love of your life, if I am what you yearn after more than anything else in life, that's what I'm driving for, Jesus said, in your life. And by the way, folks, when we love Him first and most in our lives, everything else in life is going to fall into place. You love Jesus above everything else in your life. If you're married, your spouse is never going to have to worry about you messing up on them, stepping out on them, because Jesus is number one, and He's shaping your morality and your character. That's what I try to say to couples in premarital counseling. You need to make Jesus the center of your marriage, make Jesus the center of your life, and love Jesus more than anything else in your life, and that will keep your marriage together. Your marriage needs to be a threesome. You, the two of you, and Jesus. And if you do that, you'll be okay. Love the Lord your God with your soul. Then he says, love the Lord your God with your mind. Use your mind to contemplate all kinds of thoughts of Him. The book of Hebrews says, I will place my laws into your mind. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to place my law, my commands, my structure for your life into your mind so that when you go to make decisions, you're making those decisions out of my law with my guidance and my direction. Make those decisions out of the the law that I will give you. Love me with your mind. Focus on me, he's saying. Not on yourself. Now, when we love Him with our minds, sooner or later, we're going to ask questions of Him. That is, that's just part of the learning process, asking questions. And when we love Him with our minds, we should be asking Him questions. In fact, as we love Him, the more we love Him, the more the questions are going to multiply. And God usually responds to our questions in one of three ways. Number one, He gives us an answer. And it's an answer we like. And it's the answer we're seeking and the answer we want. And it comes quick. So we're real happy with God because God answered my question. He answered it quickly. He answered it precisely. And God answered it the way that I was hoping He would answer it. Number two, God answers the questions with an answer we did not want and we did not anticipate and we're not particularly happy about. And so then we have to make peace with the answer that He has given us. But third is that God answers with silence. We don't get a yes, we don't get a no, we seem to get nothing. I have found in my walk with the Lord that in the early days of my walk with God, man, I was getting all kinds of answers. And they were coming quick, and they were coming nice, and they were coming just the way I wanted it. And I was happy. And I love to get testimonies about how God answered prayer, and God worked in my life, and God did this, and God did that. And then as I began to progress, I started getting some answers that I wasn't particularly excited about, and I didn't want 
But after a while, I begin to see the wisdom of that. But I have found that the longer I walk with the Lord, the more often silence I get. And that I find to be the most difficult battle and struggle my mind gets in when God is silent. Have you ever had those times that you wish God would say something? When you're just sitting there like, God, I need a word. I need you to show up. I don't need silence. And you're just giving me silence here. And the silence of God speaks to the mystery of God. Because see, when God's giving me answers and I can discern the answers really quick, there's no mystery there. But when God is silent, that's when God seems so mysterious. What is He up to? What is He accomplishing? Why will He not tell me what He is doing? And you may find that the longer you walk with the Lord, the more frequent the times of silence will come and the longer those times of silence will be. First time I encountered one of those, I thought this will be over with in a few days. A few days came and went and it wasn't over with. So I thought, well, it'll be over with in a week. And a week came and went and it wasn't over with. And a few more weeks came and I was like, all right, Lord, we've learned our lesson here and I know you're going to have something for me and this has gone on long enough, so please put it out there. And, and God didn't. This past week, I attended a funeral service for a 19-year-old young man who had been discovered over in Roanoke. He's the brother of a, another teenage young man that I've been in a mentoring relationship with. And when I attended that funeral, I looked, sat in the back, and I looked at a whole lot of teenagers and young adults who were there. And as the service began to progress, I sensed that we were all struggling with the question of why. Why a 19-year-old? Why this when life has just really begun to open up for someone? Where is God in this? And what is God trying to say to us? And if we were just sort of enveloped in the grief of mystery. And that sometimes is where life seems to take us. How do I love God with my mind when my mind is asking the question, why, 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 and I'm not getting an answer? And this is what I've discovered that I want to share with you from God's Word. God doesn't always answer why with a direct answer. And so we've got that time of silence, that mystery. But God will always answer with who? Because an answer is not there does not mean His presence is not there. You go and you look at the 23rd Psalm, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. But David does not say, the Lord is my shepherd because he gives me all the answers. 
The whole Psalms over and over and over again in one way or the other says the Lord is my shepherd, not because I got answers, not because the silence has been broken, but the Lord is my shepherd because He's with me. You see, the most powerful thing that God can give us is not an answer, it is His presence. What I need the most when I go through a time of loss in my life are not answers. It's someone to walk through the loss with me. To give me answers and to walk away doesn't do me any good. To give me yourself and say, I will walk through this with you. I will share your tears. I will agonize with you. But you're not going to be alone. That's what He gives us. That's what He gives us. So we learn to love Him with our minds and we learn to love Him in the silence and we learn to love Him in the mystery. God, I may not understand this and I may not understand you and you may not be talking but you know the greatest thing that I need right now, God, is Your presence. And I do need that. And You have promised that to me. And God, I will love you in the mystery of who you are with me. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to love you with our minds. To probe who you are. To discern your being. To embrace you. And God, when we can't get an answer, it's not our calling or our job to try to wring an answer out of you. Rather, when we cannot get an answer, it is rather, Lord, your calling for us, Lord, just to love you in the mystery of who you are and to know your presence with us. you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus and know what it is for Him to be in your life and forgiving you and holding you and walking with you and bringing healing to you and just knowing His presence then I invite you in just a moment as we sing to walk the aisle of this church and say pastor today I want to give my life to Jesus I want to know Him. I want to follow Him. I want Him in my life. And I want to know what it is for my life to be in Him. If you're here and you sense that God's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. If you need to come and kneel around the front and pray, the altar is open. If there's any other decision to be made, surrender to God's call to ministry, then we invite you to come. But in these moments as we sing and reach out to Him, let's just love Him with our minds, our hearts and our souls. Jesus, 
Thank you for being here. And Lord, we just want to praise you right now. We just want to love you. In your name, amen. Let's stand together, sing and come as you will.